projects are in the ground or in these communities for 30 years. In a number of places, we have some good stories to tell. A lot of times, we're invited back to communities to expand and to do more development. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about power projects, particularly the most popular electric generation these days, solar, wind, and gas. It's no surprise everyone wants to go green. Solar farms in particular are easy. Just about anywhere is sunny enough to support them. They also have a low profile. You could share a property line and not be aware there's a solar farm next door. Natural gas is also popular these days. Oil and gas prices are cheap, as my guest discussed last week. Gas also produces less CO2 than coal and can ramp up quickly, making it a nice compliment to intermittent renewables. I discussed this in my Radiant REIT episode 84. Renewable projects are usually affordable enough for just about any developer to finance that captures the imagination and supports the notion that anyone could be a power producer. My guest this week and I discussed the components of what makes an ideal power project. I was very interested in the public engagement component. It really depends on the folks surrounding your project how easy the process can be. And I think a lot about how a project like this can affect the neighbors. Imagine asking a farmer in Iowa if you can build a wind farm nearby. That's going to change his views forever. In my role as a transmission project manager, I love going into neighborhoods and communities. I recently had an opportunity to replace an ordinary fence with something that was much more aesthetically pleasing than we've used in the past. And about two years ago, I was removing some old wooden poles in a neighborhood. Scope only called for a few of them. We had some extra money in the budget, so I pushed to remove the rest of the unnecessary poles in that neighborhood. It may just be a project to me, but it's these people's homes that are affected. A good developer has to weigh these concerns with the overall profitability of a project. It's a marriage of compassion and common sense, and the best managers know how to balance them delicately. My guest this week is Beth Conley, Vice President of Communications for Invenergy, a global power project developer based in Chicago. Invenergy has more than 164 projects producing over 25 gigawatts of electricity. They've been focusing on solar and storage facilities most recently. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Beth Conley. here with Beth Conley, Vice President of Communications for Invenergy. And Beth, there are a lot of power project developers out there. I guess the simplest question, what sets you guys apart from everybody else? Great. Thanks, Jay, for having me today. And thanks for the question. I think there are a number of things that set Invenergy apart in our approach to developing power plant projects or to developing sustainable energy projects. I think, first of all, we are the leading privately held developer, owner, and operator of sustainable energy projects here in the U.S., and we also have a global footprint. I think that privately held structure of the company allows us to be a little bit more nimble and flexible in the projects that we chase and the markets that we work in. And I think also we have developed a really deep expertise in project development, and that applies to a number of different technologies. And that's allowed us to really transition from our foundation in natural gas project development 
into wind, into solar, now getting into advanced energy storage projects and other types of energy solutions. And I think that focus on project development and not technology specific or one specific customer base really sets us apart. In some cases, we've actually acted as an EPC, so the engineering, procurement, and construction firm. We also have a long history of doing our own project financing. We have a number of relationships with banks and lenders and other institutions that's unique in helping us finance projects, finance construction, and allows us to take a little bit more innovative approach to our commercial deals, right? And I think that that's unique for Invenergy. I think the other thing that makes us a little bit unique in this space is we are an independent power producer, but we do not only develop, but also continue to own and operate many of our projects. Beth, it seems like everyone loves renewable energy, but do you encounter any NIMBY, not in my backyard issues in any places that you've developed? Uh, I think this would happen, you hear about this a lot, especially with wind farms, you know, they're really tall and people can see them. And in some cases like solar farms, you can be one lot over and they're not very visible. So what's that been like for you guys? So Jay, I think Invenergy looks to develop projects where we have an abundant resource, whether that's a good wind resource or a strong solar resource, where you have access to the electric grid, certainly where you have a customer, and then where we have communities and landowners that are interested in developing a project with us or being part of an Invenergy development. That's not to say that every member of every community <laughs> wants to be part of an Invenergy development. I think anytime you go in with a new idea, rightfully, communities have questions and concerns. And so, you know, we do a number of things. We really pride ourselves on the transparent way that we develop projects. We go into a community and we make sure that we understand a number of things about the community. We want to make sure that we understand anything unique that would make developing a project in that community a great opportunity or maybe some challenges that a developer might encounter. And we are always available to answer those questions that come up. We, we really pride ourselves on that approach. And I think a couple of things that we do as well is we really do consider ourselves a partner in the community. And so we talk about the benefits that any new development brings. There's temporary economic activity when you have, you know, 400 construction workers come to town, you have new tax bases, you have permanent jobs. And then Energy contributes about $160 million every year to the communities that host our projects and supporting education services and veteran services and kind of helping meet community needs beyond increasing that tax base. I think we really have built a reputation of being a good development partner and a good neighbor when our projects are in the ground or in these communities for 30 years. In a number of places, we have some good stories to tell. For example, out in West Texas, we developed a wind project and I think we had some concerned community members and we worked to address their concerns, we worked to answer their questions, and we were very responsible in our development, in our construction, and have continued to be a good partner. Earlier this year, we just reached commercial operations on our Santa Rita East project because it was such a successful conversation. A lot of times we're invited back to communities to expand and to do more development, and, and we see that across the country. Sure. Looking around the country, are some states easier to get projects in the ground than others? I've seen a lot of solar projects up in the Northeast that sometimes have a reputation as being very difficult in a regulatory way. How easy or sometimes challenging is it to get 
projects done in all these different places. When you're talking about the regulatory environment, it can vary from state to state and it can vary from really jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I think we're starting to see and better understand local zoning regulations around renewable developments and working to understand where a solar farm is a compatible use. I think that a lot of times when some zoning regulations at local jurisdictions were put in place, they didn't contemplate renewable energy project coming to town, right? We try and do a good job of understanding regulations that have worked for communities and that have also allowed for responsible development. So, you know, we work with communities in following those. And then there are some places where you're subject to a state regulatory process and that maybe makes things, takes a little bit longer to develop than when you're not subject to those things. And I think right now there are a couple of states where we are, and not just us, but I think developers in general are struggling through regulatory processes that are taking a long time. I think New York State is a good example. Right now, the regulatory process that any renewable development is required to go through is taking a long time and such a long time that from the time an application was made until the time that it's going through the process it can be approved, the economics of that project have maybe changed or the need for that project have maybe changed. But I think that anytime when you want to go in and be a good and responsible developer, you're going to understand you'll have done your homework and you're going to know what's the regulatory framework that I'm working within? Do we meet that? And if not, is making a request for an exception something that folks would be amenable to you? And you kind of figure out the best way to develop your project and the best locations based on what information comes in. Yeah. How did these projects get started? Are you actively seeking sites to site things? Are you approached? How are these projects usually initiated? In Venergy, in our approach, you always want to make sure, again, that we're looking for a place where you have the right resource and where you have access to the transmission grid. So where there's capacity for you to build the projects that you can get onto the grid or you can make the necessary upgrades to the grid so that the grid can accept your power, right? They can take the electricity. Also, I think it's really, you know, customer demand. Do they need to be in a particular place? Do they need to interconnect to the grid in a particular place? And I think you begin, then you go out and knock on some doors. And if you're getting some people that are interested, it starts to look a little bit less like an idea and a little bit more like a project. And then I think to your point, we do have people who sometimes call and say they have an opportunity or they have a plot of land and they've always been interested in solar. Would this place make sense? And then you go back and you ask those same questions. What's the resource look like? Is there a place to interconnect? Is there a demand for this power? And you kind of go through that cycle again. Yeah, but are you contacted ever by utilities or big corporations or anybody like that? Sure. When I'm talking about customers, I'm talking about utilities and what we call our commercial and industrial customers, right? So those corporations. I think that a lot of times what we might do is marry a development that we have in progress because typically by the time they're coming, their need is fairly immediate. And so, you know, it's, it's helpful to have something that you're already in process with, <laughs> you know, so you don't, it's a little bit risky to go in and find maybe a greenfield site. But if we've got a development that doesn't have final customers, then, you know, we would figure out if, if there was a fit in an approach there. Yeah. I live in a regulated market, North Carolina, as many of the listeners know, live in Texas, which is deregulated. And I think that a lot of listeners, if they lived in one or the other, aren't really familiar how the economics of the other one works. But how are doing projects in the U.S. different in regulated and deregulated areas? And for you guys as merchant power producer, how does that affect you guys? So it has less impact generally on developing the project. So those things don't really dictate site or the size of a project or anything. Those, the, the typical development process would still stand. 
What it does do is change is it changes the types of customers that you can talk to. So in a regulated market in certain localities, you can only sell to the utility and to the utility in that specific geography. And in an unregulated market, you have the opportunity to sell to a broader base of customers. Certainly still utilities who are interested, but then that opens up that possibility of those commercial and industrial users, tech companies, they can participate in an unregulated market in a way that they can't in a regulated market. So for us, it just is a matter of who our customers are. Yeah, I had coffee with a developer about two years ago, and they were saying that it seems to be the trend is more towards utilities owning the projects after they were completed. I believe you say that you guys will sometimes build to own and then build to sell. Is this still the attitude, or are you seeing more purchase agreements? That's a good question. I think the developer that you spoke with two years ago, I think that that probably still rings true. And I think that Invenergy is interested in providing solutions and meeting customer needs. If that's a utility that wants to buy power or a corporate purchaser who wants to just enter into a power purchase agreement, we're happy with that structure. We are seeing more what we call build transfer or development transfer. In some cases, for utility customers generally, we will go through the full development process, the full permitting process, do all of our studies, go through construction, hire a general contractor, build the project, and then when the project is deemed complete, we will sell that or turn it over to the utility, the ultimate owner, so that's a build transfer. So we're seeing some more of those. And then we also are doing now what we call development transfer. Also for utilities, we go through the same development process that we would for any other project. We get the land, we get the permits, we get all of the environmental studies completed, really anything that you would need to get a project construction ready. And then we transfer those development assets to the ultimate owner who then builds the project and owns the project. And so it's called the build transfer agreement. You're kind of doing the parts that aren't that much fun, right? (laughs) That's right. The good news is that we can do all of those things and we have a lot of experience and deep expertise in all of those things. But that development piece, right, is the hard part and the riskier part. So we're eliminating some of that for our customers. Sure. You've done a few natural gas plants. What do you think their future is? That's here to stay, right? Yeah. Invenergy has a deep history in natural gas. That's how our company was started. In fact, just At the end of last year, the largest power plant in our entire fleet and the most efficient and cleanest natural gas plant came online. We think that there is great opportunity in gas. I think, you know, you said you have some listeners in Texas. There's a whole lot of gas in Texas. The fuel prices right now are helping drive that market at the same time that the technology is becoming more efficient and cleaner. And I think the the ability of natural gas-fired power plants to sort of fire up and turn back down, what we call peaker plants, is a really nice complement to getting greater renewable penetration on the grid. If by chance, you know, the sun goes down at night and your solar facilities aren't putting out as much energy, natural gas is a nice complement to that. I think that we still see some opportunity for natural gas, certainly in North America. And then also, I think it's really expanding for us around the world. And we are working right now on some projects in natural gas and cogeneration facilities in Mexico. We have a really exciting project in El Salvador that we're working on that will use gas. We still see that gas is here to stay and that there is a bright future for gas. Yeah. I did a panel in Charlotte with representatives from Duke, 
Dominion and Southern Company. And we focused on a project that's actually down there in Texas, the Net Power Project, natural gas for carbon capture. And I think all of them were basically agreeing. It's like, look, carbon capture and coal plants, probably not going to see much more in the way of coal, but natural gas being here to stay and everyone's focused on carbon. Carbon capture for those kind of facilities is probably looking very likely. So as a natural gas power project developer, are you seeing that down the road? That's something that, from my experience, isn't as much of a conversation as it is with coal, right? (laughs) I think that if that's kind of hearkening back to the conversation that we were having about regulations, if that's the way that the market's going, if that's how gas plants are going to get built, then that's how we can capitalize on this gas opportunity, then I think that that's something that we'll track. And that's something that, again, is we're looking to make our projects more efficient and more sustainable, then that seems like an option for us to better understand. Sure. You've built wind, solar, and natural gas. Have you considered any other kinds of generation? We also have some advanced energy storage projects or battery storage projects. That's not really generation, right, but a complement mm-hmm. to generation. In fact, I think we've got 13 projects now. Some of those co-located with our other developments, and then we're starting to see some of that as standalone projects. And then maybe not necessarily new kinds of generation, but in Venergy, as an energy solutions provider, we're always looking to understand what are some of the challenges with energy and what solutions should we be considering, what solutions do we have the expertise to develop and provide. We're looking at working on transmission for Gentile um, for some of our existing projects and then as standalone projects, recognizing that renewables are located oftentimes far from demand. We're also working on Invenergy Clean Water projects, looking at seawater desalination to see if we can help meet some of those energy challenges. Oftentimes, when we think about wind in the United States anyway, it's all onshore wind, and so we're also exploring the offshore opportunities for wind as that market kind of seems to be opening up here. Mm-hmm. And then we're also considering some turnkey solutions for folks that operate facilities. So figuring out how to help people be more energy efficient and how to deliver cost savings, like both their automotive fleet, <laughs> their industrial facilities. And then, again, not really new generation, but we do have our Invenergy Services Asset Management Group as well, right? So recognizing that we have built a lot of power plants and we operate a lot of power plants. And we take care of them and we do that really well. And there are a lot of folks that are benefiting from those services that Invenergy can provide as well. My first episode was Duke Energy's Renewable Control Center. They said it was much more affordable to remote monitor operations and have a guy in a truck (laughs) staff the location in person. So how are your projects monitored? At Invenergy, we do both. We have an award-winning control center at our Chicago office. It's the Invenergy Control Center or the ICC where we remotely monitor our projects and where it makes economic sense, we staff our projects. We also provide, again, those third-party operations. We think that there is a good mix of both. We think it's important to to be monitoring 24-7, right? And some of the things that we do also at our control center is we're helping to meet market demand, right? So we can help. We're speaking to the grid operators to know 
when and if we need to put more power onto the grid or take a little bit of power off. We're doing that from our remote center as well. And finally, you mentioned your storage projects. Let's get into that a little bit. And I hear a lot of things. And again, when I had the panel with the three folks from the utilities, they certainly had opinions about the role that storage projects should play. I think a lot of folks are under this impression that these battery storage projects, you know, the things that are in the big Connex boxes that sit out on site, that they churn out tons of megawatts. The same as a power plant would help our listeners understand exactly what their role is. I think it's more like for short bursts than it is for hours on in electrical supply. How is Invenergy using storage? I think it's important to clarify that the battery storage projects or the advanced energy storage projects don't have the capacity like a natural gas generating plant, right? They're not going to have the same amount of output. But what they do do, I think the easy way for me to kind of think about it is (laughs) It operates a lot like my cell phone. I'm not using my phone, but there's power, the sun is shining on a solar facility, so I'm gonna charge my phone. Mm -hmm. And then I have to leave the house, and I'm gonna burn that power at a time when the sun's not shining on it, right? Just like your regular battery, you charge it up when you have the power, and then you use it when you need it, sometimes until it's exhausted, and then you recharge it again when you have a power source. For example, if we're co-located with solar projects, we can extend the amount of hours essentially that the sun is shining in that space. Maybe during the day you're pumping out full capacity from your solar farm. Maybe the grid doesn't need that electricity at the time because you know demand is not high. So you're charging your battery. And then when the sun goes down, you're not generating any more electricity from your solar project, but you can still put that solar generated energy that you've been storing onto the grid. It again helps as a complement with renewable generation, and it also helps with grid reliability, right? Mm -hmm. So you're storing power just in case, for example, something goes down on the grid, you have an asset that trips or a transmission line isn't delivering power for whatever reason. You have this other source where energy doesn't need to be generated, it's just being stored. Yeah, I asked all my storage guests, especially the ones who deal with battery storage, where do you think the storage solution should be located? At the farm, in an intermediate spot like a substation, or residential behind the meter in a garage? (laughs) Uh Energy works generally for utility-scale solutions, and I think that it depends. If it makes sense to have it at the wind farm or at the solar farm, you can have a battery located there or a number of batteries located there, and then you can get onto the grid. It also makes sense if you're drawing from a number of different places to have it at a substation and not necessarily right at the point of generation. I think it depends on the need for the customer, the need for the community, what what the grid situation is. And then I think there are applications for residential behind the meter. We don't provide those solutions, Mm -hmm. but I think maybe in all of the above, right? Yeah, a little bit of everything, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right, Beth Conley, Invenergy, thank you so much for your time. Great, Jay. Thanks for having us. That was Beth Conley, Vice President of Communications for Invenergy, a global power project developer based in Chicago. I want to thank Beth for her time as well as Melita Elmore for setting this up. Melita also connected me with our guest for 10 Power in episode 69. You can find plenty of pictures on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets 
the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 88. Be sure to join us next week when we learn how flow batteries could be the answer to extending the lifespan of energy storage projects. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time. Thank you.